0: All right, well, good morning. Awesome, so glad you guys are here. Lots to celebrate uh, this morning uh, with uh, senior video and then uh, think about them going off and moving into the next steps. Uh, juniors rising into the senior leadership position this next year. New kids coming up into middle school, high school. New kids coming up into kids this next year. Lots to celebrate. And obviously, all that's connected to, uh, to Mother's Day um, and uh, to the families. And so, um, I don't know if many of you guys, um, well, many of you guys probably do know this uh, about our story. But some of you may not. Um, Nikki uh, and I, my wife and I, as part of our story, is that we really struggled uh, with infertility. And so it's just a really painful chapter, or chapters, I guess I would say, in, uh, in our life. And so we understand the, the deep pain. Um, that uh, can come with Mother's Day, uh, and yet we also have you know Eden, um, and so there's a, a deep piece of joy, uh, and so I, we celebrate uh, that, and we want to celebrate with you mothers who are here this morning, and at the same time, we, we, um, we mourn with others as well, and so just know that whoever you are and whatever your story is, uh, your story matters, and uh, you value, and we love you. So um, if you don't know me, my name is Seth. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Salem, and I want to welcome you guys as well as to everybody who's joining us online uh, this morning. So we dive into, uh, kind of dive into, there's not a ton to impact this morning, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a second, uh, but we're going to jump into the final chapter in Jeremiah, right? 52 chapters. It's a long book. It's Second longest book or one of the longest, two longest books in the entire uh, Bible. And when I think about coming to um, the uh, 52nd chapter or to the last chapter in a story like this, it makes me think about like a TV series, you know. Um, some of you may understand uh, the temptation that uh, exists in this world through Netflix, because Netflix offers you a wide variety of shows that you can binge-watch to your heart's content. You know, like you can go through ten seasons in ten days if you would like to, right? You're like, challenge accepted. You know, um, and that's you know, in some sense, the beauty. Uh, of something like that, uh, the danger or the downside is that you've just given up 10 days of your life, you know, to 10 seasons of a show that doesn't really matter, you know. But um, whenever I think about this, you know, it brings us to the end of like you're watching through a TV series, and and you get to that final that final episode you know, and maybe it's the final episode of a, you know, of a season, and so it's the season finale, or maybe it's the series finale. Maybe you've just plowed your way through six seasons of an eight-season show, and you realize, wow, I need to slow down, uh, and I need to appreciate the characters and the conflict uh, that's being presented. You know, it just takes a while to digest, and here's why I think that's significant, because Jeremiah, being one of the two longest books in the entire Bible at 52 chapters and lots and lots of words, we basically just binge watched our way through this book. And, and uh, because and the reality is, and, uh, and I don't know how you guys feel about this, but if we were to do this justice, uh, not just the whole Bible, just the, the, the book of Jeremiah, if we were to do this justice, we would need to carve out 39 and a half more years to do this book. So how many of you guys would like to come to that church, <laughs> you know, like you, you wake up and like, your, your whole family has morphed and changed and you've got new kids who have kids and they're like, gosh, we're still in Jeremiah. This is terrible. You know, like, like what's happening here? What kind of a church is this? But in order to, in order to get, gain the full appreciation for Jeremiah, we'd have to be in it for 40 years. Because God's story is God, he's constantly speaking to Jeremiah, who speaks to the people, uh, right? And as it goes, God says, you're going to preach for 40 years a message to a group of people who will not listen. And that just sounds terrible, right? And so we've kind of binge-watched our way through this, and we're coming to that last chapter. Um, but as we come to the last chapter, here's something else I think it's worthwhile noting because, because Netflix has spoiled us, or any streaming or any TV really in modern history has spoiled us because it's hardwired into us as, as 21st century people to expect a happy ending. You know, like, uh, we, we long for the guy to get the girl, you know, or, you know, whatever it is, the hero to win the battle, and when that doesn't happen, we go, why did I just waste two hours of my life watching that? You know, like, I don't know how many of you guys, like, maybe this is, you know, maybe not relatable, but I, when I was in college, Lost was a big thing, and, and I watched Lost religiously, and I loved it, and then it got to the last episode, and I was like, I just wasted my entire life. You know, I like, I don't even understand what happened. Like, this is just bogus, you know? Um, and, uh, and so the reality is, is that we're hardwired to want happy endings. And uh, Jeremiah, unfortunately, does not provide that. Jeremiah does not have a happy ending, okay? So Jeremiah doesn't end with Jeremiah walking on a beach uh, with his rescue dog and a hot cup of, of uh, coffee from his favorite coffee shop and holding hands with the woman of his dreams. All right, that's not the way that this story goes. It does not have a happy ending. And so I just wanted to be really clear about that. But here's, here's what's so important about this, is that even though it's not a happy ending, there is a hopeful ending, and that's tremendously important in, in terms of Jeremiah, but also in terms of the entirety of the story, because even though Jeremiah is ending, we come to the end, and there's something that's still to be revealed, and so what this is is that it shows us um, is that there's this, there's this confusion between two things, happy uh, and hopeful, so I want to ask you this question as we, as we start, okay? This is a profound, profound, I mean, it may seem really simple, but this is an incredibly deep question. Would you rather be happy or hopeful? Like right now, in the midst of whatever is going on in your life, whatever your circumstances, good, bad, mediocre, meh, you know, like wherever we're at today, you know, would you rather be happy or would you rather be hopeful? I would guess that our gut instinct is oftentimes to say which one, happy, right? Right, we'd rather be happy. Because that's, because that's the nature of the human heart. Like, I want to be happy right now, right? And I think that what this does is that this question pulls out a tension that is deep inside of us. And it forces us as human beings to wrestle with the question, which one of these is most important to me? And most of us in that sinful moment would probably say, my happiness But then we go, ah, but the Bible would say it's hope. (laughs) You know, like Jesus, right answer, you know? Like that's the way that we would do this. Would you rather be happy or would you rather be hopeful? And we confuse these in our everyday language. Um, because we know the difference, but yet we, we just confuse them, right? Because happiness is really this, it's this circumstantial, it's my present circumstances, whereas the other, right, speaks to this tension between my now and my future. So happiness is very much present, and it's, it's oftentimes very shallow. Like you are at the ice cream shop uh, enjoying the finally the good weather that's coming, on our, uh, coming our way, and you're like, it's so good to be outside eating ice cream, and then your ice cream falls falls on the ground and you're not happy anymore, you know, like how quickly the world shifts, right? Or it's your kid and you're like, well, toughen up, you know, we can get you. And he's like, then everybody else is unhappy, you know? Um, And that's just the reality, the way these stories go, right? And we confuse that, right? Hopefulness, on the other hand, is this deep thing. It resonates in the deepest and darkest places of our being. And it speaks to this reality is that even though this is where I'm at now, there's always more story yet to be revealed. There's always something else. There's something else that is beyond this and that in a way that God can shift or change or turn this into something that is good or something that is right. And so for many of us, we hear this question, we go, would you rather be happy or hopeful? And you go, well, I would rather be both. And you go, well, duh, of course. Of course. There's somebody in this room right now who's thinking that. Well, I would just choose both. <laughs> just cut the red wire, you know? Like, but the reality is, is that's not the way that life oftentimes works, is it? This is not, right? And so oftentimes we have to choose, do I want to be hopeful? And, and Jeremiah, as it ends in chapter 52, does not have a happy ending. But it does have an incredibly hopeful ending, it's very, very important that we understand this because this book leaves us longing to see what happens next. How does, even though this is ending, this, this season finale, this series finale, is, it's done. Jeremiah is done, but what happens? Where does this get picked up in the future? And so what we're going to find as we jump into this is how this book actually kind of comes to an end. In order to understand what happens next in the story, we need to appreciate even just how this story ultimately ends. And so, if you have a Bible, jump uh, to Jeremiah chapter 52... Uh, and while you're while you're turning there, I just want to summarize uh, kind of some of these previous chapters because if you're like, hey Seth, we're at the end of the book in fifty two. Last week we were in chapter thirty six. Uh, there's a whole bunch that happens there, and you're right. And so, but there's a lot of that stuff I didn't just didn't feel like the need to get into. So I want to summarize just a couple of quick pieces. So chapter thirty nine is what records the very first the fall of Jerusalem as Nebuchadnezzar comes and he attacks Jerusalem and it falls. Right, and that's a very very important historical date in, in the, the history of Christianity, even in the Christian history, uh, you know of uh, of the entire world. And so the city is captured. Um, but here's what's fascinating to me. Here's how this story unfolds. Okay, um, in chapter forty, and I've got these verses for you. Chapter forty, verses two through six. Remember that Jeremiah has been imprisoned. Okay, and here's what it says. It says the captain of the guard took Jeremiah um, and said to him. The Lord your God pronounced this disaster against this place. The Lord has brought it about and has done as he said. Because you sinned against the Lord and did not obey his voice, this thing has come upon you. Um, Pause. Uh, uh, Worthy of note here is that the Babylonians who sack the city understand the message that Jeremiah has been preaching more than the people of the city. Do you get that? yikes. He understands. He goes, this is God's doing. This is God's story. And now I want you to see how the fate shifts for Jeremiah here in verse 4, right? This is crazy. It says, now behold, I release you today from the chains on your hands. If it seems good to you to come with me to Babylon, come, and I will look after you well. But if it seems wrong for you to come with me to Babylon, then do not come. That seems pretty reasonable, right? Goodness gracious, this is the way he's being treated, right? But then he goes on, right, and he says this. He says, Oh, I just lost my thought. If it seems good for you to come to Babylon with me, I will look after you. Well, okay, I just read that. Da-da-da-da. Here we go. See, the whole land is before you. Go wherever you think it is good and right for you to go. If you remain, right, then return to Gedaliah, the son of uh, Ahicham, the son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon appointed governor of the cities of Judah, and dwell with him among the people. Or, guess what? You can do whatever you want. This is what he's, he's like. He says, or go wherever you think right to go. Jeremiah's been in prison for how long? And then, and then these people who just sacked the city—they're coming like, "Hey, man! Great work, good job. Here's a trophy. Do whatever you want." Like, like the like the amount of freedom that he's given here is incredible. Like, this gracious, right? He says, you "Go wherever you want to go." So the captain of the guard gave him an allowance of food and a present, and so let him go. Right, right? This is crazy. So, what does Jeremiah decide to do? Jeremiah could decide to go to the people uh, who are going into exile. He could choose to go to the Mediterranean Sea and retire. He chooses instead to stay with the people. Right? And so he chooses to stay with people. And here's how the story unfolds. And this is where I need to summarize this for you because this is how the story unfolds, right? The people are fed up with the, with the Babylonians. And so they say, let's go to Egypt. And Jeremiah says, no, <laughs> don't go to Egypt right? Don't go to Egypt. Here's what you're supposed to do. This is all a part of God's plan. So what you should do is you should stay uh, and you should serve the Babylonians because that was God's plan. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Do you want to know what they say? They say, no, shocker. (laughs) They say, no, we're going to go to Egypt. Um, this is actually what's fascinating to me. Um, Jeremiah, his message to these people, he says, if you go to Egypt, guess what's going to happen? God's judgment, which, which you clearly just lived through, will follow you there. And, they, and their response is, this is the words, as it's translated in English, it says, you are telling us a lie. And you're like, okay, so the, the one guy, the one guy for the last 40 years who prophesied rightly... The judgment that came upon Jerusalem, that one guy who came true and the guy who chose to stay with you and care for you, that guy, he's telling you a lie? Like, are you like this is the heart of the people. And they say, nope, that's a lie. We're going to Egypt. And what do they do? They force Jeremiah to go with. And they bring him with. And so what do they do? They start or continue offering sacrifices to other gods. All right, this is what got them into problems and into trouble in the first place. Right, this is, And they go, we're just going to keep doing it. But we're going to do it in Egypt because it's a better climate. I don't know. Well, you know nicer houses, better food. You know, Well, that makes sense because their city is destroyed. So like, let's get out of here. Let's go down there. But here's what happens in chapter 44. Okay, Chapter 44, verses 16 and 18. Just see the heart of the people here. It says, as, um, as for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen. We will not listen. Here's what he says in verse 17. They say, but we will do everything that we have vowed. We will make offerings to the queen of heaven, And pour out drink offerings to her, as we did both we and our fathers, our kings and our officials, in the city of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. It's like, hey, we're just going to go back to life as normal here, uh, because guess what? Here's what we remember. When we were doing these things beforehand, we had plenty of food, and we prospered, and we saw no disaster. But ever since we stopped making offerings to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. (laughs) 100% 100% wrong, <laughs> like if you were to put that on, if this was a quiz and you gave it to the teacher, it would be F, <laughs> This it's 100% backwards, right? This is the story, right? They think that it's because they stopped giving to the queen of heaven, when in reality, it was the moment that they started giving to the queen of heaven. To false gods, right? And this is the story. This is their heart. This is, the, this is the people. And it made me think of this picture that I found or saw this week. Um, excuse me, this one, this one. Yep. So, um, You guys all know this well. So on Thursdays, Brady and I meet, and we went to the park because it was nice, and so we were driving through, we're going to spend some time in prayer, and and we came across this sign, and uh, and immediately it made me think of the situation, this book, right? Because here's what I see. I see a sign that says, wrong direction uh, in the midst of disaster. Right? There's flooding everywhere, and the picture that came to my mind was a person in a canoe canoeing up, the, up this because they can't walk because the disaster has struck, right? and yet they canoe their way through, and they say, we will not listen. We will do whatever we want. We will do what's right in our eyes, even though. I mean, this is like a sign. The whole book is the people going the wrong direction in the midst of disaster, even when confronted with disaster, it's like, no, we will choose and we'll continue to do what we think is right. And so what God does through the rest of those chapters is he just pronounces judgment. He says, there's going to be a judgment here, judgment, 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 judgment. And by the way, you get all the way to the end of that, and he says, even Babylon will be judged. So the very people that God used to destroy the city are themselves going to be judged. And he says, there's going to be another kingdom. It's going to be the, the Persians and the Medes from the other north, and they're going to come, and they're actually going to punish them, right? There's always somebody bigger and better that God is going to use to do this, right? And so that's the, that's the story. So here, as we just kind of jot this down really, really quick, just visually so we can see this, right? We start in chapter 1, and we go all the way over to chapter... 52, right? Um, yep, this way. I think that's right. Close. Numbers are even more hard, okay? So, but here's what we find, right, is that uh, the book starts, and what do they have? They have a king, right? They have a king at the start. Uh, they have beautiful city walls that offer protection. They have the temple of the Lord where God dwells, right? What could go wrong there? And then you've got all these people, Right? And so what what Jeremiah is going to do, or actually what this last chapter is going to show, is is he's going to trace these four things into the final chapter and with a matter-of-factness because, actually, chapter 51 ends with with, uh, Jeremiah's words. It says, thus far ends the words of Jeremiah. And so Baruch, his scribe, writes in chapter 52 for us and with a very matter-of-fact, very plain and simple, as a historian would, would just lay out and say, this is where we're at. And this is the end of the story. And he's going to trace those, those four things. Okay, so here we go. Jump into chapter 52, verse 1. It says Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. That seems like a pretty good reign, right? He's doing well. Uh, his mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. Uh, here's the kicker, verse 2. He did what was evil. In the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. Okay, just push pause for a second uh, because there's just a real strong personal application here. Um, and uh, it's something that we know, but we oftentimes overlook. And I want you, and if you're taking notes, write this down uh, because it's significant. Note how easy it is to emulate people who do wrong things and how hard it is to emulate people who do right things. Because even when we want to do right, guess what our heart wants to do? Wrong. That's the disposition of our nature. That's what we want to do. It's the most natural inclination for us is to gravitate towards sinful, wrong things. And this is the pattern that exists, not just for the kings in this book, but really for the entire set of people. The pattern is is that whatever's been put in front of them, they follow evil, follow evil, follow evil, follow evil, follow evil. And even when there are good examples in Kings and Chronicles, what they do is they're very short-lived. And they don't last, right? Because they constantly keep coming back to this heart issue, this evilness of the human of the human heart, right? And this is Jehoiakim. And so, because this sinful pattern continues to exist, right, throughout the book, there's this pattern of God's anger, His wrath, His judgment that keeps coming up. Because when there's that type of a pattern, God has to show up and deal. Like He has to make right what was wrong, right? And so, here's what it says in verse three. It says, for because of the anger of the Lord, it came to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that he cast them from his presence. Now, if you're, like, don't take this literally because it's not like God can cast you someplace where he's not. Because sometimes that's the way that life feels but that's not true. Like If you change your circumstances and he moves you somewhere into this new setting, guess what, he's still there. He's not dependent on a building, he is everywhere and can be everywhere. So that's not what he's saying, he's just saying that I'm changing your circumstances in such a big way so I can get a hold of your heart. Because when little things are going wrong in our life, when there's little sin, right? sometimes God shows up in little ways. But if there's this deep ingrained pattern, God has to show up and do bigger things. To help us as people understand, to help me as an individual understand what is going on in my heart, right? So, who we follow matters. The here it says Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon, right? <laughs> uh, shocker, he rebelled. This guy... He rebelled against the king, Uh, and in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, uh, came with all of his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. They built siege works all around it, so the city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. And on the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land, you can go read Lamentations and just see the weeping and the lamenting that happens in their search for food and the pain, it's just utterly desolate and just full of despair. It says, then a breach was made in the city and all of the men of war, what did they do? Did they stand up and say, you know what? Let's make our final stand and let's fight for the women and children. They said, no, let's wait till it's night and then let's run up back. So not only does he rebel, he runs, right? And what happens, and this is where we have, if you have sensitive ears, right, like you, you just almost want to cover him because this story is just painful, right? As he flees, it says they capture him. They bring him before the king, right? And in verse 10, it says the king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and also slaughtered all of the officials of Judah at Riblah. He put out their eyes of Zedekiah. And he bound him in chains and the king of Babylon took him to Babylon and put him in prison till the day of his death because the last thing that Zedekiah saw in the fruit of his disobedience was his entire family taken from him and then he was forced to live with it blind until he died. Now you read this and it's easy for us sometimes to think the worst and you think about us in our our own lives, I know that there are people here today who are either actively rebelling against God or who are running. And maybe you've been running for a long time. And that doesn't mean that God is gonna show up and do these things, right? But what it does mean is that God does show up and he helps us understand where we're in the wrong. And that's significant. And it's important for us to acknowledge when God does show up and when he meets us in the midst of our own sin, right? Things don't always end well, but God has to show up and help us deal with the stuff that's in our hearts, okay? So... um, the, the city really, uh, so what happens here is that, that whole first chunk is that the city is now like been dethroned. The king is no more, right? Your primary leader is gone. But it's not just that, is that the city actually gets demolished. Look at verse 12. So in the fifth month of the 10th day of the month, that was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, uh, Nebuzaradan, it's a hard name to say, um, the captain of the bodyguard who served the king of Babylon entered Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord and the king's house in all of the houses of Jerusalem. Every great house he burned and all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down all the walls around Jerusalem. So they bring this place to an utter demolished state. Right, and there are many things in our life, again, just personal application here as we think through this, many things that have happened in the last two years that um, our safety nets have been torn down. Right, like it feels like the walls, the things that used to protect us have been ripped away and that now we are exposed and demolished and our lives just feel at times like they are in ruin. And that's a hard place to be, right? But it's not just that. He also says that they have been depleted. Now, I don't have time to read through all of this, but what happens is is that they enter into the temple before they burn everything down and they take everything worth of value in the temple and they export it back to Babylon. So all of the bronze, all of the gold, all of the silver, anything that they can carry, they take with them. And here's what's significant about that is that when you are in the wrong, when you have sinned against God in the Old Testament, what is the primary place to deal with that sin? In the temple. So, when the temple is destroyed, what do you do? Here's the answer nothing. You can't do anything, and that's what's hard. And so, you're left in this place of just ruin. Well, the last thing is that they've been depopulated. Look at verse 28 because we know that they carry people away. So this is a very quick, brief synopsis summary of of this process, and it's just numbers, but just listen. This is the number of people whom uh, Nebuchadnezzar carried away captive. In the seventh year, 3,023 Judeans. In the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar, he carried away captive from Jerusalem, 832 persons. In the 23rd year of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive of the Judeans, 745 persons and all the persons were 4,600 people. Now, whether that's perfectly accurate, you know, we don't really know, but here's the deal. As you look at this, you see the process, the amount of time, and slowly, over time, people are just pulled and drawn and taken away from their home and put in a place that's not their home. Right, And it's a tough, tough place to be. So as we come over here, to this story, right? As Bar- um, Baruch is, is, is labeling out for us, right? That this is the story. This is where Jeremiah's words end, and then you got this final chapter. You look at these, and you say, Is there a king? No. Is there uh, a city? <laughs> Your home, the walls that provide protection? No. Is there a temple where we can talk to God and do those things? No. Are there people? There are a few, but not many. And they're just there to, to, to be like the vine dressers. And so you look at this, this is how the story is coming to an end. Right? And it's just this painful reality. And so as we think through the story, I want you to go back to that initial question in your mind, would you rather be happy or hopeful? Because when we look at this and we find ourselves in difficult places in life, when we look at our, the condition uh, and the circumstance of the people of Israel, we go, goodness, there's no place for happiness in this. At least it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like it. I would never choose this. I would never want this on me or anybody else, right? I would never want this. But there's a sense of like hopefulness. Can I choose to be hopeful? Well, yes. Guys, here's the deal: there's a much more fundamental question that is deeper than this idea of, um, of happy or hopeful. And it's this: is are you trusting in your word or God's word? That's the core. Are you trusting in your word or God's word? Are you trusting in the story that you would write? Are you trusting in the story that God is writing? Right? Because if you're waiting for people to do the right thing in this book, it's never going to happen. Right? They continue to go back. They continue to go back to their old ways. They continue to sin and do this. I don't know if I, I learned this this week. I don't know if you know this, but today, in today's world, the most common worldview is this idea of syncretism. What's syncretism? Good question. Thanks for asking. Syncretism. Is, is the idea that we pick and choose and pull from whatever we want. And so we find this over here, we go, wow, I really like that, that concept, the idea. I'm gonna take that and pull it in my box. And then we do some research online and we find something like, ooh, I really like that. I'm gonna pull that in here. And what we don't realize is that everything that we end up pulling in, which the Bible is just one of, by the way, all of these things become a walking contradiction, but it doesn't matter. Why? because these are the principles that make me happy. This is what I live by. I don't know if you guys, this is fascinating. I learned this this week and I'm not, I am not want to like, 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 th- like throw social media under the bus because I feel like it has a lot of positive things too. Um, but if you're to combine the total number of hours that a, like a K through 12 person is exposed to in the church, it's about a thousand hours. You go, wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's a lot of hours. Did you know that the combined total that social media has K to twelve on on a teen is about fifteen to twenty thousand hours? And so we think about all of the different people and voices in our lives that we can just pull from. And it's no wonder that the, the, the number one worldview in, in today's way, day of life is syncretism because it's these things that make me happy. Guys, it is easy to hear the word of the Lord and to implement it in our lives when it's connected to things we don't really care about. If God were to show up and say, Seth, man, you've been listening to way too much Barbara Streisand, you should stop. Okay, this is not a problem for me. You know, like, whatever, it's not a big deal. But if God were to show up and say, gosh, I want you to stop caring so much if the Cubs lose, I'd be like, "No, well, what'd you say? Excuse me? Because when we, when it comes attached to our hearts, when it becomes attached to the idols, it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. Guys, and if, and if we're not hearing God talk to us about our idols, it's probably because we haven't acknowledged them. Because every single one of us have them. Just, I've been listening to country music recently again. I don't know, whatever, it got, got me kicked back into this. And it was this fun, fun line that said, um, we're all in the same boat, fixing the same holes. And I was like, it's the people in the canoe going the wrong way. That's who it is. Like we're all in this boat and we're plugging away, right? We've all got idols and they're all working against us. Right, and we are a group of people that does not deserve redemption, but that's not the way that God works. So, uh, when Nikki and I were engaged to get married, um, we went ring shopping. Um, but she had like a grandmother's ring, which made it really easy. But for me, I was like, I was like super low key. Like I, I, I was thinking through it. I was like, I have a price range, and we started looking, and I found this ring, and I was like, that's totally me, and it's uh, it was sixty dollars, and I'm like, I'm like, that's great. You know, and so they're like, they're like giving me all the details and all the specs, and I'm like, wait, that's great, that's awesome. She goes, here's the problem, it's made of tungsten. If you don't know, there's no oohs or ahs. Here's the deal, If here's the problem. She goes, if it gets, if it gets stuck on your finger, it, because it's tungsten, they can't cut it off, so they'll have to take your finger off. And I said, it's $60, right? <laughs> She's like, yep, I'm like, sold, I'm in. <laughs> I'd rather I'd rather pay $60 for this because this is what I wanted, right? And so uh, as I went to go pay for it, she goes, would you like to buy the insurance? And I was like, well, help me understand why I would buy insurance because the pitch that was given to me is that this will never break. And she goes, well, that's, that's true. And I'm like, then $60 it is on the nose, right? Uh, four months later, I noticed a crack running through my ring. Which, by the way, I knew a middle school pastor who would let his kids take his ring, which was made of tungsten, and smash it with a hammer, and nothing ever happened to it. So it was bizarre to me that when I saw this, I was like, that looks like a crack. Sure enough, it split all the way through. And so I took it to the people, and I, and I showed them this ring. And she goes, wow, that is crazy. I have never seen that before. And I said, well, I get it, but can I have a new one? And she goes, did you buy the insurance? I said, no, because the pitch was that it will never break. It will never, <laughs> False advertising, right? Yeah? It will never break. Here's the thing, is that when I thought about this, like, this became a symbol for me of like the indestructible love that God has for us. And yet, what, it, and what I realized is that so oftentimes in life, the way that we think about things is that we think that they will never break, and yet they always do. But the one thing that will never break in this life is God's promise to you. He will always complete and fulfill his promise no matter how long it takes. Look at verse 31. This is how it ends. In the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, who, by the way, was one of the primary bad guys that instigates this whole thing. So he gets thrown into prison, right? He's a bad guy. He's a bad king. And it says in the 12th month of the 25th day of the month, evil Morodak, which, which is Nebuchadnezzar's son in Babylon. So when he starts to reign, he's king of Babylon. It says in the year that he began to reign, he graciously freed Jehoiachin. King of Judah. And he brought him out of prison, and he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin, get this, he put off his prison guards, his, his prison garments, and every single day for the rest of his life, he dines regularly at the king's table, and for his allowance, a regular allowance was given to him by the king. I am an adult, I want an allowance. And this is according to his daily needs until the day of his death, as long as he lives. And you're like, what just happened? Why? See, it's not a happy ending, but it's a hopeful ending. Jehoiachin, who is the guy who instigates all this, he doesn't deserve anything. He does no redemption whatsoever. Why is this the way that the story ends? Jehoiachin is the direct descendant of David. The only way to continue David's line is through Jehoiachin. And God had promised, through David, I will bring a Messiah. And all of a sudden, this guy who is a no good nothing, deserving of no redemption, becomes this beautiful picture of the New Testament for us as people who were captives, prisoners, beyond saving of our own accord. We does not deserve redemption, and yet we're graciously freed. We're given new garments. We get to dine at the table with the king's family. It's amazing, but that's all yet to come. It's not a happy ending, but it is a good ending. So even when life, even when life feels like we are dethroned, when it feels like we've been demolished, when it feels like we've been depleted, like we have nothing left to give, and even when we feel like we've lost people, there's always... Always this picture that points us to Jesus that says, check, 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 check. You see, Jesus says, I'm bringing you into a place where there will be a new king, a new city, a new temple, and a new people. And that's what you and I get to experience today. You see, we look at this, and we go, gosh, God, this is not the way that I would have written the story, not at all the way that I would have written the story. But somewhere along the way, as my idols, as our idols become exposed to us, we begin to realize that hope happens in a much deeper way, and we begin to see the future for what God wants it to be more than what I want it to be. And that's a powerful place, because then we, as God's people, then become engaged in his story and participants in his story rather than our own. Whether it's a story that we would write or not, it doesn't matter because we're not concerned about the things that make us happy. Our hopefulness leads us to places where we see this is the way that God is providing for me and for us, and those are the things that now make me happy, whether that's the story that I would have written or not, because that's the story that I'm engaged in. I want to invite The worship team to come up, but I want to pose this final question to you as we end. Would you rather be happy or hopeful? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we wrap up this morning, as we think about coming through to the 52nd chapter of Jeremiah, we've seen kind of from beginning to end what started with King and what started with this this life of happiness for this people has ended in in a life of destruction and demolish. And yet, God, you show up time after time. You will never break your promises. You say, in a world that is full of wrongs, I promise to make them right. And is ultimately found in Jesus and the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life that we've been given. And so this morning, Lord, I pray that in the midst of whatever is happening in our lives, whatever our circumstances, that we would choose hope. And here's my question to us, Lord, and this is my prayer for all of us. What if we, Salem, were the place and the people to provide the most hope more than anywhere else in the Fargo-Moorhead area? That's who we want to be because that's what you've given us. Lord, we love you and your name we pray. Amen. Amen.